Last week we started a two-part series on spiritual warfare, and I'm going to do just a little bit of review. In 1 John 3 verse 8, it tells us that Jesus came for the purpose of destroying the works of the devil. That was his purpose. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And then the very next chapter, 1 John 4, 17, the last part of that verse, says, as he is, so are we to be in this world. If he came to destroy the works of the devil, then how on earth are we to destroy the works of the devil if we're to be as he is in this world? Well, Luke 10, 19, we looked that up last week, but Jesus himself said, I have given you authority over all the powers of the enemy and nothing will injure you. He said, I've given you authority over all the powers of the enemy. So we're able to destroy then the works of the enemy in Jesus' authority, in the authority that he's given to us. Now I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 10, starting with verse 3. This is the foundational scripture that we used last week. Paul was sending a letter to the church at Corinth, and he said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. He said, we're walking in this physical world. We're walking in a physical body, but that's not where our warfare is. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Remember last week we said a lofty thing is anything that tries to contradict the word of God, anything that tries to raise itself up above God's word. And then we're to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ because there's going to be a lot of thoughts that pass through your mind, negative thoughts that are not coming from God. And the Lord says you take the word, you use your spiritual weapons, and you take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, now last week we looked at the first three of our spiritual weapons. We're going to be looking at seven in all. Number one, we looked at the name of Jesus. Now this is our weapon for taking authority. And remember, all authority has been given to us in the name of Jesus. So this is our authority-taking weapon. Number two is the blood of Jesus. The second weapon is the blood of Jesus. Now, the blood is our covering. It's our camouflage. I don't know how many of you have gone out on the access road, but if you'll notice over there, all this military equipment has been covered with these huge tarps that are camouflaged. And as you drive by, really, unless you pay close attention, it looks like little hills. You really don't pay any attention to the fact that there's equipment under those tarps. Well, that's exactly what happens to us. The blood is like our camouflage. The devil looks at us, and if we're appropriating the blood, if we're believing God in faith, then the devil doesn't see us when he looks at us. He sees the blood. That's our camouflage. Now, the blood is our protection weapon. The blood is what cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The blood is what drives away the evil spirits when they come. Okay, number three, we looked last week at the Word of God. And of course, that weapon is our sword. And in Hebrews 4 verse 12, it tells us that the Word of God is living and active and sharper. Okay, it's alive. The Word of God is literally alive. It's active. It's energizing. It's sharper than any other two-edged sword. It pierces and divides between soul and spirit, and it judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So the Word is a powerful weapon. Now, when you use the Word of God, which is your covenant then, and you continue to use it, this is the weapon now that's going to change circumstances. This is the weapon that's going to 
pull down those long-term fortresses, those strongholds that have been built up. Okay, now today we're going to start with weapon number four, and this spiritual weapon is praise. Now, a lot of people don't even think of praise as being a weapon, but it is. Why do you think in the Old Testament that they would always send the praisers out in front of the troops? Okay, now that sounds ridiculous to us in the natural, but if you'll remember, we used to sing a song called Send Judah First, and then the enemy will be scattered. Send Judah First, and the battle will be won. So many times we'll sing these songs and we have no idea what they mean. But see, this song is going to continue to be meaningless unless we understand that Judah represents the praisers. And so that song is telling us, send Judah first, send the praisers first, and then the enemy's going to scatter. Send the praise out and your enemy is going to be defeated. So it is a powerful spiritual weapon. Praise is a powerful weapon. In deliverance, many times you'll find yourself coming to a place where it just seems like nothing's moving. And many times the Lord will tell us, well, just start praising. And everybody will just start praising and singing love songs to the Lord. And all of a sudden then the enemy flees. See, it's the weapon that is such a, a powerful weapon to cause the enemy to leave. I want you to look at Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. Now, if you'll remember, this is the story of Paul and Silas, and this is when they've been beaten and they've been put in prison for preaching the gospel. And so in verse 21, Acts 16, verse 21, and they were proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. And the crowd rose up to gather against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them. I want you to notice, literally, they came and started tearing their clothes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. How many times have you been beaten with a rod proclaiming the name of Christ? You know, we don't know what persecution is. And so they were beaten with rods, and when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them in the inner prison, or the inner dungeon, and fastened their feet in stocks. But about midnight now, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Now I want you to think for just a moment about this dungeon because this is a dark dungeon. There was of course no lights back then. They didn't even have a torch in there because when the jailer came in, he had to bring a torch to find his way. It would be mice infected, rats would be there. There would be all kinds of disease damp and dark and just a horrible place. We can't even imagine how horrible it was. But about midnight, they start to sing these praises and all the prisoners are listening and suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison house was shaken and immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped because he knew that his life would be taken if they were gone. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we're all here. And he called for lights and he rushed in trembling with fear and he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. Okay, now, it's midnight. They're in the midst of this horrible darkness. You can imagine at night with the rats running everywhere, you can imagine how horrible it was. 
And you can imagine the hopelessness of this situation. And yet they start singing praises to God. Now, they probably didn't feel like it. You know, we read this and we don't think about the fact that they're just exactly like we are. And so many times when you're in a hopeless situation, you don't feel like praising God. And I'm sure with their backs laid open and bruised and cut and, and bleeding and in this horrible place, I imagine that the last thing in the world they wanted to do was to have to sing a song. And yet they started praising God. And so many times you'll find as you start praising God and singing, that the more you praise and the more you sing, all of a sudden your spirit starts lifting and you start feeling better and better. And so I can just imagine Paul and Silas singing and they get louder and louder to the point that all the prisoners are listening. And then of course the earthquake comes and the stocks fall off their feet and the dungeon door stands open. So praise now is a spiritual weapon that broke through in the spiritual realm. It was their weapon. They were using that in the middle of the night as their weapon to have a victory over the enemy. Now let me tell you something interesting about this particular weapon. When things get so bad that seemingly there's no answer, this is when the weapon of praise is so effective. We've all been to the place where we've had a situation that looked absolutely hopeless and we just think, oh, there's no answer to this. Well, praise is that weapon that we use when the enemy is coming hard against our emotions. Have you ever had the enemy come against you so hard that you just felt like, oh, there's just no hope, there's no answer for this, and you just felt like your emotions were in total despair? Okay, this is the praise to use at that time. Now, I want you to look at Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, verse 1. Now, this is prophetic having to do with the Messiah. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, talking about the Messiah, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, in other words, to set the captives free, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all those who mourn to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. Okay, now, some of your translations will say instead of a spirit of heaviness. So the Bible now says that we are given a mantle. It's just like a mantle of praise that comes over us to take the place of this spirit of heaviness. It's a mantle of praise. It's a weapon of praise. Now, heaviness is an attack where it seems that there's no hope. When you hear the Bible talking about heaviness, that's what it's talking about, something where there's no hope. And I think that's why the New American calls it fainting, because we faint when we don't have any hope. Anytime you have no hope, you feel weak. You feel like you don't even have any strength in your body. That's when you use your weapon of praise. Now, that's hard to do when you're feeling hopeless. How many of you feel like standing up and praising God and singing praises to the Lord when your heart is so heavy? Okay, you may not feel like it, but if you'll use that weapon, it is literally a weapon and it's a praise mantle that comes down upon you. And the more you use it, you're going to feel your spirit just begin to soar. So he's given us this mantle of praise, this weapon of praise for those times. Some of you remember John Hill. He's a good friend of the family, and he was in college at the time, and he came out to see me one afternoon, and he was facing some situation that was really heavy to him. 
He said there's just not any answer and he was sitting on the couch and he was so depressed and he was so down and so I prayed with him and in a minute I said, John, when was the last time that you got up and just really praised God, just danced before the Lord? And he said, well, you know, I, I just haven't done that. And so I put on some praise music and I went over and I knew him well enough that I could do this. I promise I won't do this to some of you if you come out to see me, so don't, don't get into fear. But I knew John well enough that I went over and I grabbed him by the hand and pulled him up and I said, now I want you to start dancing before the Lord. And he said, I can't do this right now. And I said, yes, you can. I want you to praise and I want you to dance before the Lord. Well, he started singing and praising, you know, just about, you could barely hear him solo. And then all of a sudden, his voice got stronger. And all of a sudden, he started dancing. And pretty soon, he didn't even know I was there. He was dancing all over the room, and he was praising God. He was singing. See, that's, it is a weapon that literally drives away that spirit of heaviness. And if you'll remember this weapon, it'll be invaluable to you when these times come, these times when you feel hopeless. Okay, number five spiritual weapon is faith. I want you to look at 1 John 5, verse 4. 1 John 5, 4. It says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Okay, now that's why God says that nothing will be impossible to those that believe. Because we have a spiritual weapon that he's given to us. He's given us faith, and that's what's going to overcome the world. Satan is the God of this world. What's going to overcome this world is our faith. That's why he tells us that our faith is what moves mountains. So your faith now is a spiritual weapon that works in conjunction with the Word. See, it's not a matter of just having faith in the fact that everything's going to be okay. Our faith is in what God has said. So it's a combination weapon. It's a weapon that works with the Word to tear down all the demonic strongholds, all the fortresses that the enemy tries to build up. Now, you know the story in Mark 5 where Jairus came to Jesus and he wanted Jesus to go and heal his little daughter that was sick. Well, while they're standing there, the servants come and they say, don't bother the master anymore because your little daughter has already died. And immediately, what did Jesus do? He turned around and he said to Jairus, don't quit believing, don't stop believing. Now, she was dead. And yet he's telling Jairus, don't quit believing. See, Jesus was saying, use your spiritual weapon of faith. Now, Jesus knew that his faith was a spiritual weapon that would literally hold off even death and allow God then to come in and work in that situation. Okay, 1 John 5, 4, look at it again. For whatever is born of God, are you born of God? Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, sometimes we try to make faith so hard. We just try to conjure it up and we think we're not in faith when we're not feeling all exuberant and when we're not feeling like we could tackle the world. Listen, faith is not a feeling. And that's kept a lot of people from operating in faith because they're waiting to feel something. But faith is simply choosing to believe what God's Word says. That's why I said it works together with the Word because it's simply a choice regardless of feelings, a choice to believe God's Word, to believe His promises. I can remember when I first got Psalm 91, and I knew that God had given it to me supernaturally, but I thought, Lord, I can't believe this. If I believed this, I'd be going against the entire world. How can I believe some of these promises that I'm seeing in Psalm 91? 
And I struggled with it. And the Lord said, just keep saying it. Just keep saying it out loud. And then one day I realized all God's wanting me to do is just choose to believe it. And as I would say it and choose to believe it, then my faith started building because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the more we hear the word and the more we say the word, the more then we're going to find that our faith is going to build, it's going to grow. And that's a weapon then that will literally move mountains. Okay, number six, spiritual weapon. Praying in the spirit is a spiritual weapon. Now, all effective praying is a weapon. Anytime you're praying, you're using a weapon against the enemy. But I want you to look in Jude chapter 20. Jude verse 20. It's only one chapter in Jude. But I wanted you to see this and mark it. Jude verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith. Okay, there are times when you're going to need... A set-apart faith, that's what holy faith means. It means a, a faith that's set apart, a special faith for a special situation. He's saying in verse 20, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Okay, as you're, as you're praying in the Spirit, it's going to build you up in a special type of faith. It edifies you. It's sort of like a, a morale weapon. You know, in battle... If a soldier's morale is down, then no matter how good he might be as a soldier, we're going to find out he's not worth much if his morale's down. They have to get their morale built up so that they're ready for battle. Okay, that was the purpose behind Bob Hope's Christmas tours when he would go overseas and he would sing and, and tell jokes to all the troops because he knew that at Christmas time this was going to be an easy time for them to have a low morale. And so he would go over there and he would get them to laughing and, and he would say funny things to get them built up. Well, that was building the morale in the natural realm. But as we pray in the spirit, then it edifies us and it starts building our morale for battle. It starts building us up. So when your mind is racing and your heart's pounding and your knees are knocking, if you'll just switch over and just start praying in the Spirit, it's going to build you up in your most holy, set-apart faith. Now, I'm going to give you an example, just one example, but this has happened numerous times. There will be times when God knows you're going to be facing something, and there'll be times that He will impress you to start praying in the Spirit. And sometimes you won't know what it's all about. Maybe you're going to have a counseling situation, and you're going to have to know the right answers, and it builds you up, and it prepares you for battle. But on this particular day, I just got up that morning, I felt the urge to pray, and all morning I felt myself, you know, just feeling like I just have to pray. And so all morning I just kept praying. Over and over and over, I would feel this urge. So I just kept praying, I said, Lord, you know, what on earth is happening? The Lord just impressed me to keep praying. Well, that afternoon we had a bunch of people come over. They were coming out for hamburgers, and the kids were going to ride on Bill's horse. Now, Jack has specifically told them, not to spur the horse and get him to go fast because Jim Dandy had racehorse blood. He could really fly through the pastures. And Bill knew how to handle him, but Jack knew that a lot of these other kids wouldn't know how. Well, sure enough, one of the girls gouged him to get him to go faster. And when she did that, I mean, he took off like a streak of lightning. Well, it frightened her. And when he came to the corner and was going to turn to go up the lane, well, she decided she was going to bail off. And when she did, she hit her head on a fence post. Well, by the time we got to her, her eyes had already rolled back and she had blood coming out of her mouth and out of her ear. And it was not a pretty sight. 
And normally, I would have just freaked out feeling so responsible, thinking, oh, this is our horse. She got hurt out here, and I would have been so upset. But those thoughts didn't even cross my mind. And I know that it was those hours of praying all morning that literally put me on a different faith level. And there's times you're going to need to be on a different faith level. You're going to need to have a set-apart faith that's different than normal times. Now, there was just this quiet, calm knowing that everything was going to be okay. Now, she did spend the night in the hospital, but it was one of those times where I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that she was going to be okay. And I could just feel myself operating in a different kind of faith than I'd been used to operating in. Now, this weapon is to prepare you. It's to build you up. So don't fail now to be obedient when you feel God nudging you to pray. When you feel that nudge, be obedient. It's going to be for a reason. You might not ever find out what the reason was till you get to heaven, but it was for a reason. And God is going to use you either in an intercession or he's using you in some area when he impresses you with that weapon. Now, I think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit will guide you to whichever weapon you need to use. We talked last week about the fact that when our boys go into the service, they're given a lot of different weapons. And they don't use all of their weapons at one time. They don't use all of their weapons for everything that comes along. They know which weapon to use at which time. Well, it's like the Holy Spirit will guide us and you won't necessarily use all seven of the weapons at the same time, but the Holy Spirit will guide you and you'll know exactly which one to use each time when it's needed. Okay, number seven, the past testimonies. This is a spiritual weapon. Times when God has intervened in your behalf. Now, I want you to look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It says, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him. And I want you to notice how they overcame him. They overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even to death. Okay, times when God has miraculously intervened for you in the past or maybe in behalf of someone else. Write these things down. Keep a notebook. See, these are going to be weapons to use when you're facing a new challenge. Even the testimonies of what God has done for people in the Bible. These can be testimonies that you use. And these testimonies are spiritual weapons. Now, these testimonies are what I call weapons for the frontline battles. See, we fight a lot of backline battles. We're fighting battles off and on during the day and We're storing up some exciting testimonies of when God worked situations out in our lives. But then, when you move out to the front line then, your victory is going to be dependent upon what you've learned in the back, in those back line battles. It's kind of like Kenneth Copeland said. He said, I'm believing God for thousands of dollars now to meet the budget of the ministry. But he said, I keep my faith built up now by remembering those times when God came through and gave me the pair of socks that I needed. Well, that's exactly what God's wanting us to do. There's going to be little things that God does for you day in and day out. When he does these things, write them down because you're going to find when you face a big battle then by remembering all those times when God came through on maybe something that you consider small, you're going to find that those are the things that you can confess and testify to that builds your faith up for this new battle. When we face problems that look devastating and maybe we're just feeling like we're just ready to panic, 
That's when we need to start glorying in all these past things that God's done. In fact, there's nothing that can build up your faith and give you the victory faster than just getting alone with the Lord in the morning and just start going through and thanking Him for everything that He's done. Thanking Him for all these times when He's met your needs in the past. All these times when He's made Himself real to you. When David was facing the giant Goliath, that was a frontline battle. And what did he do? He confessed before the giant, I fought the lion and I fought the bear. And he said, God gave me deliverance during all those times. And he said, now he will deliver me from this giant. He said, I'm not afraid of the giant. I have all these past testimonies that lets me know that God's going to be there. Now, every one of us has faced giants in the past and we will face some other giants. But when we've had some victories over some lions and over some bears, then these past testimonies will be the weapon that we use in the new battle, in the battle against the giant. Years ago, we were still living in town and Jack had been going through a battle with depression because he was facing an impossible looking situation. Now we were in the Pepsi business at the time and the bank had promised to give us this loan. Now, the way that bottlers work is that they get a loan in the wintertime and they buy their supplies. They buy their new bottles and their cartons and they buy all these things in the wintertime. And then as soon as spring comes, the sales start picking up and then they pay off the loan. So this is just a pretty common practice. Well, this was a new bank vice president. It was a woman. And she had okayed the loan verbally. What you'd usually do, you'd just call down and ask for the loan and they'd just say yes. And then when you needed the money, you call them and they put it in your account. Well, we didn't know that our competitor had gone broke. And so that had panicked her and she reneged on her loan. Well, our checks were in the mail. We had already sent these checks out. We'd already made these orders and she wouldn't budge. And so Jack was facing an impossible looking giant. And I said, okay, Jack, I want you to think of all the times when God's come through and when he's done these wonderful miracles for you in the past. And so Jack was honest. We'd be honest with ourselves. Sometimes we've all felt this way. He said, I know he's done wonderful things for me, but right now I can't even think of one. <laughs> so sometimes you can get so down and so panicked that you can't even remember. And that's why it's so important to have these things written out. And so I typed out pages of things that God had done. And Jack took that page and he started reading through those past testimonies. And as he was reading them, he said that he could feel his faith building because Every time he would remember something wonderful that God had done in the past, he said it was like, oh, yes, you know, I, I know this is going to be okay. And sure enough, God came through and he took care of an impossible situation. There was a bottler in Amarillo that wanted to order cans and have us deliver cans to him. Now, Jack was on the board of directors at a canning plant in Conroe. And so he wanted us to send a truck down, get cans for him and deliver them to him. And he advanced the money to us. So we were able to use that money that he advanced to us. And then we'd take him a load. Then it would pay for the next load. And we stayed right ahead of all those bills until springtime when the sales started up. So it's these past testimonies now that will bring down your new giant. And you're going to face some giants. And you're going to face some situations where you think there is no way in the world. Now that was probably one of the most impossible looking situations that we had ever been faced with. And we had no idea. You can reason all day long and you're not going to be able to think of a way that God can do it. But it's reasoning is not your weapon. 
your weapon are these past testimonies. And as you remember these past testimonies, it's breaking through in the spiritual realm. And you know, I think that's why Satan sometimes hits so hard when somebody testifies publicly because he doesn't want these past testimonies stored up. He doesn't want you to testify so that someone else can grab hold of it and say, oh, if God did it for them, he'll do it for me. He doesn't want us hearing the wonderful things that God's done, not only for us, but for everyone else. And the reason he doesn't want us to hear these is because these are the weapons for our frontline battles. Now, I want you to think how many people have used Dodie Osteen's testimony of her healing from liver cancer as a weapon. And when they've been fighting maybe some terminal disease and they're able to read her book and say out loud what God's done for her, it builds their faith to believe that, yes, God will come through for me. Now, every single battle that we win is a testimony that makes our next battle easier. Now, it goes without saying that none of these weapons would have any power apart from the cross because Jesus bought and paid for these weapons through what he endured on the cross. And of course, his resurrection is what made it then available to us so that we have them to use. Now, not only did he give us weapons, but he also gave us his armor for protection. I want you to look at Ephesians 6, verse 10. Ephesians 6, 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. Now, this word schemes simply means divisive means, the plans, the methods, the entrapments of the enemy. And so he said, if you'll put on this full armor, you're going to be able to stand then against these schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Okay, now he has named four ranks of demonic power. It's kind of like we have different ranks in our military. We will have generals and colonels and majors and privates. Okay, Satan too has ranks in his satanic kingdom. And so he names here first rulers. Some of your translations will say principalities. Okay, these are the chief ranking rulers in his army. And then next he names powers. Some of your translations will say authority. Okay, these are the ones who derive their power now from the chief rulers. They derive their power from the chief principalities and they carry out the orders of the principalities. So they're the second in command. And then number three, he names world forces. Okay, these are the evil rulers that are assigned against different worlds, different world governments, different countries. See, behind every government in the world, there is a satanic world force. Countries like all the countries that you can name, you know, Spain and Germany and Afghanistan and the United States. There's a different oppression behind these different governments, a different satanic force. For example, there might be a spirit of poverty, say, over some country or maybe materialism over America. You can just name and name. And these world forces now over the countries and over the cities, they have to be pulled down. This is one of the ranks, and, and we can pull them down as we join forces with other Christians and we take authority. Okay, the fourth rank then is the spiritual forces of wickedness. Okay, look at verse 13. It says, Therefore take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Okay, it's talking now about being able to extinguish the flaming missiles, the fiery darts. Okay, what are fiery darts? Okay, they can be some of the evil thoughts that come, the lust, the passion, temptations of various kinds. This can also include some things that can appear to be right, reasoning and false obligation and fear and pity. Okay, these are fiery darts. And he tells us that we're able then to extinguish these flaming missiles. Okay, now, when you think about it, when you look at all the different parts of the armor, the entire armor is Jesus, when you think about it. And when we're covered with him, when we're absorbed in him, not only does he give us our armor, but he is our armor. And we're to live moment by moment in vital union with him. And that's why it's so important to use the armor in conjunction with the weapons because it's not a matter that we're out there fighting on our own. It's when we're covered in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we're absorbed in him. That is our armor. That is our protection. And if you'll notice when it talks about the belt of truth, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the total truth. The word is the truth. He's the word. The breastplate of righteousness, it says Christ is our righteousness. Our shoes, our feet are shod with peace. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our peace. The shield of faith, you know, it talks about the helmet of salvation. In Psalms, it tells us that Jesus is our salvation. The word is our sword. Jesus is the word made flesh, you know, in prayer. Okay, all of this armor of protection now, we have when we're walking in him, when we're abiding in him. And that's what holds off the darts of the enemy. Now, Paul didn't minimize the fierceness of the battle that we're facing. He didn't minimize that a bit. But we're so far from helpless. It's like Jack was talking about, you know, just because the battle is fierce, we're not to be in fear because the whole armor of God and the whole arsenal of weapons that he's given to us are put at our disposal now so that we can make a difference, so that we can pull down the strongholds of the enemy. If we'll just recognize with whom we're fighting. You know, our fight's not against our mate and it's not against that old grouchy neighbor. Our fight's not against the coincidences and the circumstances that come up. It's not even against ourselves. Sometimes we feel like we're losing a battle because of something that we're doing and, or something that we're not able to do. But our battle is with an unseen enemy and he's waging war in our mind. He's waging war in our body. He's waging war many times with the circumstances around us and even through other people. But you're going to destroy the works of the enemy when you finally realize that it's always a spiritual enemy. When you recognize and start appropriating now the armor that Christ has given us and when we realize that it's in vital union with him. I love the scripture in Colossians 2 verse 6 in the Living Bible when it says, Just as you trusted Christ to save you, trust him now for each day's problem and live in vital union with him. That just needs to be our mission statement, that we're going to walk and live in vital union with the Lord. And then when we use the spiritual weapons, when we take that authority, the more we're living in vital union with Him, with our armor, putting our armor on with Him, then the more we're going to have confidence in these weapons that He's given to us. And as you start walking in these truths, you're going to find that you'll never want to go back because it's so good. The victory is so good and you'll never want to go back doing it the way you've done it before. 
Father, thank you that even though we're in the midst of this world and the evil one, he's still the God of this world. Father, I thank you that we can rise above that as we literally live in Christ Jesus and allow that armor to be around us at all times and allow the confidence to start growing in the spiritual weapons that you've given to us. Father, I thank you that we're able to stand and we're able to overcome and we're able to pull down the strongholds. Thank you for that, Lord. Lord, help us to come to a place where we realize that our battle is not with the people around us. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. But our battle is against a spiritual enemy. And it's a spiritual enemy that has to come down when we know what we have with which to fight. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.